Welcome back to The Strong Room. Our special guests today are Brian Keating and Dr. Axel Morenschlager, who have played a major role in developing the Calgary Zoo's innovative approach to community-based conservation overseas. One of the exciting new projects involves the lemurs of Madagascar. It's a very somber uh situation that we're in because lemurs are actually the most endangered mammals on earth why again because people have needs themselves or have an incredible impact on resources and so lemurs live in rainforests rainforests are being chopped down at an alarming rate we're like in in sort of half a day today we will lose about the size of water to national park in terms of rainforest logging around the world and um uh so the challenge is immense. And for the local people there too, you know, it's, it's again, a relatively poor country with a very high population density. So how is there enough room for lemurs and for people? How do we make it work? How do we, how do we make that work? And In 1995, when I was there, Ranamafana, which is a national park uh, south of Antananarivo, which is the capital city, uh, had just become a national park. And it was actually one of, uh, one of the researchers, uh, one of the, uh, primate researchers from the University of Calgary that was there who helped uh, figure out that there was some new species of, of lemurs, the bamboo lemur, the golden bamboo lemur, and that made Ranamafana famous. Up to that point, lemurs weren't really thought of that much by primatologists because it was more interesting to study the smarter, bigger-brained monkeys and apes. Uh, but as soon as people started to realize there were species to discover, there was a new focus on lemurs. Ranamafana, which was was going to be logged probably completely within two or three years, judging by how fast it was being logged, was immediately set aside by the hard work of a number of biologists and uh, by the government officials of Madagascar when they realized they had a bit of a of an international jewel sitting within this park. And, uh, and Ranamafana was the first of many of these protected areas. And for a period of time after Ranamafana was created, new parks were being developed uh, across Madagascar. So there's some good news stories in amongst uh, a landscape that has virtually had 80% of it altered in a substantial way. So, but that still means there's 20%. Now, a lot of that 20% has been harmed or has people negatively impacting upon that environment, but it, it still means there's hope. And uh, the lemur populations in some of these parks that I've had the chance to visit over the last couple of decades are unbelievable. And it's, it's very exciting to go into uh, a reserve and see five, six, seven different species of lemurs after maybe two days of searching. And, and because they have no fear of human beings, they're, many of them are easily approached or easily observed without interfering with their behavior. And from a, from a, a perspective of, of a, a person who really enjoys wildlife, there's nothing more satisfying than sitting in a rainforest watching lemurs do their thing and not pay any attention to us. But again, while we have these protected areas already being created, that's useful. The key for us, again, is how do we engage local people to make a difference? And um, the really cool thing is that we are, uh, you know, looking at using lemurs to regrow a forest. Now, how do you do that? Okay, so this, this will sound insane, but one of the things that they do is they actually run around because lemurs are high up in the canopy and their droppings, their feces, are coming down. And they have little trays and they run around and they catch the feces that are raining down from the forest canopy. Now, why would they do that? First of all, it teaches them what 
what they eat. But the other thing is that a seed that passes through the gut of a lemur is more likely to germinate than one that falls on the ground. So they collect lemur poo, get out the seeds, germinate those seeds, and then uh, use those seedlings to regrow forest on land that the local people have on the edges of where the forest is still, where there's been logging. So lemur poo creates seeds being planted by local people. The value of their own land increases, actually, as it turns back to forest. So the people benefit. They get more value. There's more forest Lemurs have a place to go, populations can be connected, and hopefully then we can achieve sustainability. And because it's community-based conservation, and because there are communities all over the world, and there are species in need all over the world, it means that we can engage on that area of strength anywhere, on anything. And with that being said, it would seem in terms of, of raising funds, there would be an opportunity for so many people to participate in this vision. You know, I, my, my comment on that would be, I can't think of a better place to establish your own personal legacy right. than in a, a green legacy, something that brings us and ensures or helps to ensure that a future will remain green. Because we, if, if we lose these ecosystems, ultimately, ultimately, everybody knows this, we lose ourselves. So it's in our own best interest. If we want to be very selfish about it, it's a good idea to keep the world a greener place and to figure out mechanisms like what Axel has been illustrating to make it so we can keep these green places and yet still have people survive and survive in a healthy way. That yeah. delicate balance. Yeah, it's. I think about it, you know, in terms of the, the job that I have and, and the kind of work that we do, I consider myself incredibly privileged. And, um, um, you know, I, it's just it's such a gem and, and something that that we should be thankful for. But... The natural legacy that we have to work with out there is something that has to be preserved. And I have three kids. And, and, um, when talking to them about the environment or about some of these things, you know, they ask me, you know, what is it that you can do or what is it that we can do and how will things be in the future? And it's actually, when it comes from a child, it's a very, very, very difficult question. But it's such an opportunity, like Brian says, for legacy. You know, if you look back on your life or, or, or on all the things you currently have and you think about how can I make a difference for the future, something that matters to my children, to their children, and to society in general because I've benefited or I've, I've been very privileged, how can I do that? One of the ways to do that is to, is to leave a legacy uh, in supporting the kind of work that we do at the zoo. And I think that's twofold. One is in terms of empowering the conservation that's done, because we're 80 to 90% externally funded. And two, in terms of helping the facility to tell that story, which means we need to have exhibits where we can talk about the challenges of ecosystems, and then the solutions and the hopeful engagement that is truly there, the difference we're making already, and the incredible potential we have in the future to accelerate that, because we must accelerate it. We must step up, because we're losing species still. The current status quo is not good enough. We're doing better than we were 30 years ago, but we need to get better still. And we cannot do it without support. So 
We require that support, and we've got the credibility and track record to show that when there's investment and support, we will implement it in a way that will save species, save ecosystems, and benefit people. In their conservation efforts to make the world a better place, Axel and Brian also share a mutual interest in the ever-expanding green economy. Well, one label that I've heard for it as well, I love it, is because people talk about blue-collar workers and white-collar workers is they're green-collar workers. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's starting to be used. And, uh, and there is an incredible opportunity. And I think within biology as well, um, we need to be very cognizant of the fact that we are dealing with a crisis situation in the world. And we need to develop solutions and science for the world. Now, when I became interested in science, and, and this will probably be true of Brian too, we became interested because we were fascinating. That's exactly the right way to start. But when we do science, I believe very strongly we need to do it with the concept in mind that we need to come up with applicable solutions. And when we do, we have to go further and engage communities, government, other stakeholders to make sure that they're applied too. It's not good enough to be interested. It's not good enough to come up with the solutions. You need to work harder to get them applied. You know, the table is set for it because there are more opportunities, there are more people interested, the needs are there, so let's bring that synergy together. And I think within that entire system, it's not just in Canada this is happening, there's an incredible hope for the world. It, but it's not guaranteed. You know, we need to engage now and we need to support it. It needs to be attacked. It needs to be looked upon by, by all of us as, as a priority. Uh, and a lot of it doesn't require huge technological advancements either. A lot of it is just common sense. Build a house that's made for Canada, not for California. Put a, you know, I, I bike everywhere because my own personal goal is to leave my car parked as much as I can. My next city car will undoubtedly be an electric car. And I know Alberta's electricity is, is, is based on a coal economy, but at least it's from a point source that theoretically could be changed easily down the road. Uh, and, and right now I figured out that the energy that I produce off the roof of my house, I could travel a hundred kilometers a day if I bought one of those new little Chevy Volts. So there's, there, there's opportunities to, to do things that are, are, are there in front of us right now. Uh, when I bike around the city and I look at all these south facing roofs, these houses, this incredible real estate that is being used for nothing except gathering snow in the winter and shedding rain in the summer, it could be used for gathering that, ele- that sunshine that Alberta is blessed with so much of. Our sincere thanks to Brian Keating and Dr. Axel Mernschlager for guesting with us on The Strong Room today. We welcome you to visit our website at macmillanestate.com. This is The Strong Room.